Hello and welcome to the Blair Upper Cervical Podcast, a show where we interview top Blair Upper Cervical chiropractors to glean their insights, tips, and passion. In each episode, your hosts, Dr. Kevin Pekka and Dr. John Stenberg, bring something unique and inspiring to help you grow and succeed. Enjoy the show. Welcome back to the Blair Technique Podcast. I'm Dr. John Stenberg, and I've got a friend with me, and this is going to be a really fun conversation because I've not yet got to talk to her about this particular experience, but Dr. Jane Brewer, a recent graduate of the Diplomate in Chiropractic Craniocervical Junction Procedures. I think I've been saying that wrong the whole time, but not just graduate, but valedictorian of her class. And so um, that's a, that's a huge honor. I know you're you're being super humble about it, but you should be proud of that accomplishment. I know that you know it takes a leader and someone who's dedicated to reach the top of a field like that. So I think it's awesome, and uh, we've known each other since school. So it's kind of been fun to jam on just life in chiropractic over a few years, watching each other, uh, you know, grow in in practice. So uh, this this will be interesting for me because you know I know you from from the beginnings. Um, but just give a quick introduction to yourself. Tell the folks who you are, uh, how you practice, what you practice, where you practice, that kind of a thing. Thanks, John. It's the Colorado Connection. Um, I practice up in northern Colorado. It's like the major Fort Collins area. That's the big city where I'm living. Um, but lots of little surrounding towns and folks come from us from all over northern Colorado. My business is Persistent Chiropractic. We opened in 2015. So I was a 2014 graduate from life, Atlanta, and took a little while to find a location, get that all set up, opened, and here we are. Gosh, I've been in practice over seven years, just kind of wild to think about. I was formally trained and I'm certified in knee chest upper cervical. I went through the KCS program with Dr. Kessinger, Dr. Anderson, Dr. Dalias, being amazing teachers. And even before enrolling in the diplomate program, and this is something that I wish I would have done in school, was just dive into the more orthogonal side of things. But I uh, went to my basic one and two for orthospinology, and that's what I use mostly now in my day-to-day practice. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's cool. Um, you know, we're in agreement on so many things as far as like the philosophy of what we're trying to do and the intention of, um, the outcomes that we're after and some of the differences of technique or the things that folks get hung up on, but I'm very interested in all the different perspectives because it just adds so much to your, your clinical decision-making. And I think with, with patients, you know, patients don't fit into boxes all the time and it's nice to have ways to, you know, characterize their case so that you can help them. And uh, more information is good for that. That's true. Yeah. So, and sometimes you, your spotty senses just come up and you're like, all right, you know, some reason, like something's telling me to put this person on the knee chest table or other way around. And all of a sudden your clinical indicators start to change in ways that maybe they weren't before. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. That used to be so frustrating to me as a student, even a young doc, you know, like knowing that that's a thing. And i couldn't just have someone tell me how to do that, you know, just the time and experience and working with folks and, um, you know, kind of listening to that small voice is how that develops. But um, yeah, it's even with just following a technique and just following the steps, you'll get great results. No uh, and the more interactions you have with folks and the more, you know, cases you have logged in your memory bank, the more that stuff happens. But um, do you remember how we first met or do you remember meeting me in school? Oh my gosh, put me on the spot. No, so I don't expect you to, but I have a very specific memory and that's why, that's why I was Oh gosh, tell me what it is. <laughs> okay, so this was probably like first quarter. We just got there. Okay, and this, we're going to get into the conversation. This is just You graduated funny. in 16. 16, yeah. So you might've been like fourth, fifth quarter, something like that. One of my friends went to DE and got real jazzed about philosophy. So I was like, hey, you know, come to this band of brothers meeting with me and all this stuff. And I was like, okay, what is that? You know, I don't know. So I, I tagged along and it was the first chiropractic philosophy type of thing I'd been exposed to besides maybe like, you know, whatever first couple talks you get in school. And it was like, who was there? I remember this is just a vivid memory to me. You were there, Justin, yeah. Trump, I think Ryan Schrock, yep. maybe like a couple other people that their faces come to mind, but I don't know their names anyway. So like this was it's so interesting to me because you guys start doing like the breath work 
and all these other like things like warming up and getting getting going and I was like what in the world are we doing here <laughs> so I might have even snuck out you know when you guys had your eyes closed or something I I just remember like being encountered like imprinted with this memory of like holy smokes like some of these chiropractic people are really about it you know and there's there's a lot more to it than what I thought I was getting into which was mm -hmm. like some sort of you know physio therapist kind of rehab type of thing so even though like for me at that time I was like not prepared for that it was a really interesting experience and I, I never really forgot that so that's the first time I remember meeting you what a cool memory isn't that crazy that. yeah I mean it's right taking it back to the philosophy that's the three-legged stool right you know you have that and then of course you have the science yeah part of it and yeah and, and with the philosophy too like all the people that I knew that were really jazzed about philosophy were end up for cervical and so I kind of always paid attention to that too and thought hmm you know these people are like really really I don't want to say convicted. It's probably not the right word, but, um, you know, have a strong sense of grounding in what they're doing. Uh, and it goes beyond, you know, just sort of pain relief and that type of thing. So, um, just thought that'd yeah. be funny for That's you to cool. hear. And it's cool to remember that because I think when you get into the routine and the grind of day-to-day -day practice, it's easy to forget your roots and sometimes how fired up you were as a student when, you know, all you really needed to do was get through class, get through school. And there was that freedom that time freedom to really be immersed in that whole other element of it. And if you're a student listening and you're going like, what time freedom is she talking about? Uh -huh. It's just, <laughs> it's just different. But, and the thing that I thought was cool about that community too, is you guys had a lot of solid docs that were sort of mentors outside of school. And sure. um, I hadn't seen that yet either this kind of integration of the field in the academic life. And I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah. I had this interesting, I guess, luxury to call it. I mean, I, I graduated with an undergrad, gosh, 22 years ago now in art. So I really didn't have a science foundation whatsoever coming to chiropractic school. So I did have to do, I did six months of undergrad prereqs. I did the pre-DC program at Life. And those six months really gave me the time to explore and figure out what it is that I wanted to do, because you start to understand pretty quick, man, there's a lot of ways to do this thing called chiropractic. Mm -hmm. And so I took the time to go to all the clubs and try to get exposure to all these different things. And I think that's really when I started to fall in love with the idea of upper cervical, because it appealed to me and it made sense to my brain that there was a method of analysis to know where, when, and when not to. And I think that was always the nagging question in my mind, because I came from a full spine chiropractic background as far as my own experience with being under care as a patient. And so it was just this whole new realm that opened up for me to start to understand, wow, okay, it's, this is not just like, you know, feels different here, push here. It's like, no, there's actually quite a bit of uh, analysis and understanding that needs to go into it before the actual moment of that adjustment. Yeah. Absolutely. And I know for me, getting back into philosophy midway through school and getting this concept that it's not about subluxation, it's about interference and being free of interference as the chiropractic objective rather than adjusting subluxations. And, and when that finally like clicked for me, then it made upper cervical the logical, the logical practical pathway to help patients realize that in real life, not just in lip service. And so I think we're on the same page with that, but, yeah, um, totally but a lot agree. of people then when they get into the field and they practice their technique and they build their practice, they kind of settle in. So what influenced you, I guess, let's say five-ish years in practice to enroll in a program like the DCCJP and just kind of honestly re-engage like another three years of study. So I had a few close friends that went through in the cohort prior to mine, um, Dr. Kevin Lynn, Dr. Jamie Browning, just listened to her episode, it was great. Um, and so they shared a lot about the program. And I also, I, I love being a student, in, even when I'm not in a formal academic setting, I just enjoy the process of learning, taking in new information, approaching what we do just with an open, curious mind. And so it kind of seemed like a natural next step in the evolution of my career as an upper cervical chiropractor to open that door. I actually applied for the Blair scholarship. I filmed this epic video with my CA at the time. It involved my like 1980s plastic Yamaha recorder from elementary school. 
I thought it was pretty solid, but I actually told myself when I applied, I was like, all right, if I don't get this scholarship, it's a sign that I'm not supposed to move forward with this. And I didn't get it. And then I, there was just still, you know, something nagging me in the back of my head. I was like, well, I guess I need to do this. So I just, it was kind of a leap of faith. And honestly, mostly at that point, you know, not that I was super new in practice, but five years in starting to get my legs underneath me more from all vantage points, including the financial aspect of it. So I think the biggest hurdle for me initially was the monetary investment. And I was like, all right, I'm just going to take a leap of faith and, and move forward with this. And I'm super glad I did. Awesome. Yeah. And, and, you know, there's, there's real conversations to be had about that. I remember, and I've said this on the podcast, I don't know how many times, but for your class, I was, people were asking me, are you going to do it? And I was like, two years into practice. And I talked to Dr. Ian Bulo and he was like, where are you in practice? What are you doing? How's your thing? Going? He's like, no, dude, don't do that right now. What are you doing? Uh-huh. You know, like get your, get yourself a few more years under your belt. Like just yeah. get, you're going to get way more out of it. Like sure you can do it. And there are people that did it, you know, with less experience and practice than me and got a lot out of it. But I thought that was, that was sage advice. And I appreciated that he kind of like contextualized it for me mm-hmm. uh, because I do think, you know, now compared to three years ago, man, what a totally different headspace. I mean, even related to upper cervical. And so, um, you know, there's, there's definitely a time, a time to make that investment of time and money and resources and energy. Uh, and, and for each person, that'll be a little bit different. So if anyone has specific questions related to some of Dr. Jane's decision-making, we'll make sure you can get in touch with her after, uh, I know she's hot off the heels of the program and we'll be able to give you a, you know, an informed perspective, but, um, so that being said, like, give me an idea what the first few weekends are like. I know you've got, there's a lot of travel. There's a lot of like the schedule's full, right? That first year as you were getting rolling, what was your initial impressions of the whole thing? So our first two modules, I think we kicked off in the spring of 2019 and our first two modules were held at Life West with Dr. Jeff Schulten as kind of an introductory two modules into all things anatomy and just right out of the gate, showing up on a chiropractic college campus, walking into a classroom with, you know, a group, I think we started out a group of 35. And, oh my gosh, I just had all kinds of anxieties come up. Um, Mega case of imposter syndrome. I'm like, what am I doing here with all of these incredibly bright people? (laughs) And, you know, you do the whole thing where you go around the room and you introduce yourself and, you know, you explain a little bit, kind of like we did, like, hey, I'm Jane, this is where I practice. And, you know, just talking about our motivations with joining the program. And it was really obvious very quickly that I was in a room of people who were just incredibly brilliant in so many ways. I mean, everyone ranging from folks who have been in practice, just maybe a handful of years, two, three, four years, maybe gosh, up to several decades of experience. And, you know, most of us fell somewhere in the middle of that spectrum, but I, I was quite intimidated those first couple modules. And then you right out of the gate, you know, we have very informal, like little quiz questions. And I was like, Oh my word. Like, I don't remember any of this. (laughs) Yeah. Any of this, like how many muscles attached to the atlas? How many ossification centers does the axis have? Like, oh God, like, did we actually learn that at some point? Yeah. So it was, for me, pretty intimidating, I think. And then imagine there's maybe a, that's maybe part of the intention. The first couple weekends just kind of set the tone. And I imagine Dr. Schulten would be the the perfect person to do that kind of gracefully, but also, yeah, but also kind of, you know, make everyone understand that like, this is not a gimme. It's not a show up and just get your credentials here. This is, you know, a collaborative effort of working hard over a long period of time. And that's, what's so interesting to me is like, as upper cervical chiropractors, we work with this stuff every day, but you do kind of like for better or worse, all of us, or a lot of us are, are more technicians. Like we just kind of follow the procedures that we know and it works and it does good. We're not necessarily thinking about all that stuff. We're not necessarily thinking about all the different ligaments and all the different uh, neurovascular tissues that are associated with the work we do. And we kind of know these concepts and we, we talk to them about, you know, we talk to patients about CSF flow and all that kind of stuff, but we're really not staying as fresh with a lot of that information. So um, I, I think that's a great, I think that's a great sort of just 
gut check for all of us to say, hey, let's stay on top of this stuff. I mean, we're we're professing you know, that we're specialists, that we're focused in our practice, that we have a very unique approach to things. Let's not say things that are physiologically, you know, not really accurate. Let's not, yeah. you know, be weird about it. Um, and so even just going back and look at the anatomy books and, and looking at the, you know, all the different sort of like pieces of the puzzle when it comes to the upper cervical spine, there's a whole lot going on. It behooves us no matter what you're doing, whether you're in a program or not, to just keep that stuff fresh in your mind. For sure. Yeah. Even just going over, I mean, some of the stuff that we learned first quarter in osteology and, you know, going through all the skull foramen again and the contents of the skull foramen and, you know, that's stuff that we probably regurgitated for part one boards and then really never took the time to truly commit to memory. Yeah. And I think one of my biggest motivations going into the DCCJP was I really wanted to equip myself to be able to communicate at that next level with other providers. And when you think about that, it's really important to have a true mastery over those basics. Yeah. Yeah. And it's funny because there's all these little cliches and quips we use in upper cervical, like an upper cervical adjustment is like the most delicate surgery, right? Is the as precise as the most. And it's like, but you can't even say how many muscles attached to the Atlas. You can't make that comment. You know, it's just like, in my mind, there's a contradiction there. And and, and in the mind of a patient, right? I think, or or a healthcare provider, another consumer that goes like, "Mm, I don't know, that kind of seems like you don't really know as much as you say you do. But um, it's, it's, subject matter expertise, right? I mean, if we're really, uh, if we're really, really subject matter experts, again, stay on top of this stuff. And it's a challenge for me too. And I've done a few online courses and I've done some self-study with this stuff. And it's always just like, my God, you know, and I've, I've whipped out my notes from school. It's all there. It's all in the PowerPoint slide right. that I took a million notes on and saved like it. We did have it. Uh, and, and I'm always curious about this next part too, which is you know, going through all this and getting exposed to all this information, new and old, what happens after the fact? Like, and, and during the process, like, how does your practice change as you're starting to approach all this new information? I think the biggest thing it changed was me and giving me a different level of confidence to read imaging and, you know, approach that patient with a level of certainty of their findings and how that translates into their day-to-day care. So I think that was a huge component in my practice was just really fortifying my foundation and understanding of what I'm doing. And then I think the biggest thing it opened my eyes to was, you know, it's like there isn't really ever one right way to do anything. Hmm. And it really just taught me to think more critically, think more objectively, approach things with that curious open mind instead of already having maybe these preconceived notions of, you know, what I might or might not find Mm. any given presentation. Um, And then of course, you know, different skills, like it was just cool to learn about other techniques and maybe certain things that they incorporate in their objective findings and their exam process. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Just new little tricks of the trade. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, you know, I've heard that a lot of times. And what I think is really cool is most folks will come away with, they don't scrap their technique, right? You get all this information, you get all this knowledge, but they go back and say like, this is a good technique. You know, Blair techniques, great. You know, I'm doing it better now. Orthospinology is great. Knee chest is great. It's not like, oh crap, I just learned that you know, half of what I thought to be true is actually not. It's again, reinstills confidence and builds up the fact that, holy smokes, these guys, you know, 60 years ago figured out, you know, these technique systems and developed protocols that guys and gals like us could just follow the steps and get great results. The more we learn about, you know, this region, the more we understand the implications and the how and the why, but just the fact that like Dr. Blair figured out how to take these protracto views. I was just, just thinking about that. Yeah. And just over and over testing and iterating and like, and putting it into a procedure that just says this, measure this angle, stand at this angle, do this with your arm, right? right. Years and years and years of study to just boil it down for me to come and just do it. Uh, just fascinating. And so I, I really have, that was something that stood out to me is like, I don't know of any, of any diplomate I've talked to. And not that I know all of them that said like, yeah, I quit doing X technique and started doing that one because of what I learned. No, I, I, I really don't even think that any of what we experienced was about that at all. It's just 
to me, it's finding these diamonds in every single approach and every single technique. And I think I have an interesting um, perspective having been trained in both an articular and an orthogonal technique. I mean, even Dr. Kessinger, when you learn the KCUCS protocol, we look, you know, he teaches a lot of Blair's work, you know, we look at protracto views, we look at, you know, lateral mass uh, underlap, overlap. And, you know, if this it's one thing that, you know, is super cool to look at now that CBCT is becoming more prevalent. It's like, okay, gosh, even though I practice an orthogonal technique, I'm going to look at that protracto view every single time, even though I'm not, you know, if somebody brings in, I don't have cone beam yet. That's next on the list yes. for that giant sum of money to fall out of the sky. <laughs> um, but how cool to add those things to our overall understanding of somebody's misalignment, subluxation, like, what does that look like from different angles? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's the fascinating thing about CBCT. It's like, it doesn't matter what head clamps you have or don't have. Like you've got access to all the information. Yeah, uh, That could be a blessing. That could be a little bit more information than sometimes you should probably have so that you don't screw it up. But, but I think about that stuff all the time and look at those, you know, it's like really easy. It takes an extra few minutes to get an orthogonal uh, approach and or at least a perspective an orthogonal perspective a few images right. uh, to correlate and it's like hmm, there's yeah, gotta be and a if way those things don't add up or if there's some mm -hmm. kind of mismatch there i just think it's cool to start asking those questions well what does that mean or if you apply the adjustment in the way your technique protocol dictates and you're not seeing the results that you expect to then how cool is it that you have all that raw data to go back to to look at it from a different perspective and say, okay, maybe we try this next time because if we kind of slice it and dice it this way, it's going to maybe yield a different result. hundred percent. And you just said it a minute ago, which is you're not, you don't have a preconceived idea about what you need to find to help the person. <laughs> because I know there's plenty of times where I'm looking at protractor views and I'm going like, Ooh, that's little, you know, like, <laughs> is it, uh, it's gotta be right. Yeah. Well, let me go back and look at this. Yeah. That's gotta be an ASR. It's like, you can talk yourself into stuff because that's what you feel most confident in. And you just don't have to. It's what I'm hearing is if you've got a few different perspectives, you can kind of just get the information, correlate findings and develop a plan. And then if you implement the plan and you troubleshoot if need be, but that's really cool. I think that's what a lot of us get into upper cervical for is that intellectual stimulation that comes with managing cases and not just oh, yeah. kind of like laying and people then, down and doing the same thing to everybody. Yep. Then you put 35 of us thinkers in a room and really cool things start to happen. Yeah. Yeah. Well, any particular memories or takeaways like on that, on that note, can you recount a few times where things just conversations over dinner or conversations in a, in a session just really got interesting there. I mean, there are so many and, you know, I was trying to reflect back on the whole experience and, you know, COVID really threw a monkey wrench in our schedule, in our program. Yeah. Um, for those of you not super familiar with the way the Diplomate program is laid out, we travel for in-person modules once a month over about the two and a half year period of time that it was supposed to be. We got a bonus year because of COVID um, and you know the travel restrictions that were in place. So we had just a weird glitch in our schedule. Yeah. When I was trying to reflect back on all that, we had so many great modules. Um, I always learn, I love learning from Dr. Kessinger. I think he just has a really special way of teaching really complex things. You know, I just remember one of our first modules with him in Chicago, we went out for, you know, deep dish Chicago pizza and we're drawing basil ganglia loops on napkins. And, <laughs> you know, everyone else probably thought we were nuts in that whole restaurant, but you know, those, you know, the moments outside of the classroom for sure. And then, you know, learning from Dr. Scott Rosa, you know, that's stuff that I will always have, uh, to incorporate into my practice, you know, just learning how to read these upright MRIs and look for these subtle findings that even, you know, we get back these radiology reports from these upright reads and, and we're still finding stuff that wasn't even mentioned on there. Yeah. And, you know, that's us. There's nobody else looking for that stuff. Mm -hmm. That is the role of this upper cervical chiropractor is to be able to identify, you know, ligament failure or internal jugular vein compression or elongated styloids and stuff that is routinely probably being missed. And those are the answers that people are looking for that have been, you know, on the merry-go-round of all these different providers and nobody's 
had answers and all of a sudden you're looking at the stuff with them and you're like, look, it's right here. You can see it. Yeah. Yeah. Literally had a, a new patient in an exam yesterday and she's like, I almost cried when, you know, yeah. when you told me like, oh, there we go. There's something because mm-hmm. she's like, I've heard so much about what's not wrong with me. Totally. And the fact that, you know, I haven't come up with an answer and it, you know, I feel crazy, but you're telling me there's actually something there. That's, you know, it's validating. And, and we have a functional approach and I try to encourage folks like I'm not, it doesn't mean your doctors were bad or did something inappropriate. It's just, they're, they're coming at it from a different perspective, right. which is we're looking for pathology. Absolutely. You know, we're, we're looking for the diseases and the things that are very obviously, you know, malformations of the tissues, right. And things like that. Yeah the lesions and like, we're looking at what's not working right. And so with that lens, we kind of just, we view these things a little bit differently, but like you said, you know, if you've been in practice any period of time and have looked at any outside imaging reports, you realize pretty on, like, even with basic bone films, like there's stuff that doesn't get brought up that is clinically relevant. Right. So uh, you're right. And I think a lot of the the diplomates that uh, I've talked to about, let's say imaging in particular, that comes up time after time, which is, man, you'd be surprised how much, you know, how much stuff we, we see now that we didn't see before and that nobody else sees that is very validating to the patient that they actually have, you know, a problem we can help with, but it's just, you know, leads to next steps, whether that's upper cervical care, whether that's injections, whether that's, you know, co-management with other referrals, whatever that, that looks like that little bit of information is a lot of the time for these people, the difference. Exactly. And I think it's also the difference between more of that macro view that maybe more conventional providers are looking at it. And we're, we're in the micro, you know, we're living in a millimeter or sub millimeter world yeah. and we're putting things under the microscope that have never really been looked at in that much detail. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And that's again, a blessing and a curse, but there are people yeah. that are just kind of like gifted to bring certain knowledge to the world, you know, and Dr. Rosa is one of those people that for our era of chiropractic and upper cervical history is just such a unique, uh, such a unique time to have him teaching. Yeah. Unbelievable. I mean, we're going to be referencing his work forever, obviously, and building on it and hopefully reproducing it. But at the same time, you know, you know, this is a guy that comes from a background of like philosophy, right? Like we talked about, worked with Dr. Crowder as an intern, um, has done, just does upper cervical work, does good upper cervical work and is literally changing the game. Yeah. And he's incredible human being to learn from. And there were so many like Dr. Chris Chapman doing all of the airway work in Salt Lake city. That was an incredible weekend of learning, Uh, just really eye-opening, cool, cool stuff. And that's another cool thing that came out of the Diplomate program is to just start to understand, wow, there's a lot of cool places that you can take this. Mm. Yeah. And and a really cool network of interesting people. You know, like if you've ever sat and had a conversation with Dr. Chapman, just such an interesting guy. Right. And Dr. Rosa in his own way. Right. And Dr. Schulten in his own way. It's like there's a really interesting crew of uh, of doctors who have put this program together to, to implement it and then that go yeah. through it. Just, it's like a buffet. Like you get to kind of like have a sampling of all of literally, these things. And, um, literally. And, and what I don't really see from the outside looking in is folks sort of trying to jockey for position. I think it's, uh, I think it's definitely a community that loves to bring out the strengths of one another. For sure. And I respect and, that in chiropractic. It doesn't happen as often. I know that was something really, really special. I think about our crew and, you know, thank you for the kudos. I, for finishing as valedictorian. And I really want to say that that could have been any single one of my classmates. Like, yeah, I had a great weekend of testing for our final exam. I was surrounded by incredibly brilliant people. And, you know, everyone throws around like, oh, we're standing on the shoulders of giants. Like there's no way I could have accomplished anything that I accomplished in that program without the help of my friends, my colleagues. No way. Yeah. And obviously, you know, we can't name, name, name everyone and, and talk about it, but do you want to shout out any of your crew or the folks that have kind of walked through it with you? Oh, so many of them, but I had my little crew. We were all called the battery killers because we would stay up late. We would study until literally one of our phone batteries would just die. Um, but we've got Dr. Bill Lorden over in Connecticut, my precision chiropractic brethren, uh, Dr. Liz Hafer in Orange County, California, well-connected chiropractic, and then um, Dr. Michelle Speranza up in Canada. 
Yep. That was my little core crew. And then of course, like we were all super tight. We had a yeah. really incredible group of people. I think we finished and I, I'm not sure uh, the exact numbers, but uh, I think 20 of us uh, candidates sat for that final exam. So there was some attrition along the way, various reasons. And that delay that we had because of, um, because of COVID, I think people's lives changed during that. Big and, time. And it, I think affected their, uh, decision to either stay the course or take a pause for now. Yeah. And you guys will be a special class in history just for that reason. Like I, I really admire you guys for sticking it out considering because it would have been really easy to just go, Hey, you know, yeah, this is just not, this is not the time, you know, I've got to prioritize my practice and I don't know, you know, where things are going. I know. I, I truly almost threw in the towel a couple times, like to the point where I even emailed, I'm like, Hey, what's it take to get a refund? Like I'm done. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then, I mean, there were a lot of levels of frustration and I, I know myself well enough to know that I'm not a good online learner. I don't take in information very well when we're in a virtual format. Mm. I just end up like on different websites, filling a shopping cart full of stuff I'll never buy. <laughs> but yeah, I, you know, when we started to have some more of those um, modules that were moved online, I I struggled with that. And I, there were a few times where I was just like, all right, you know, if this is going to help, if this is going to be how it is, then I don't know that I'm going to be able to continue this in a way that's meaningful to me. I like, I just didn't feel like I was getting what I needed out of it. No, it's of- definitely not what you signed up for. Right. And that's, Um, And so obviously no judgment to anyone decided that, you know, we need to revisit this later or things just changed enough that it wasn't the right time. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and and kudos to the council for trying to figure that out and pushing through. I know they could have also said like, Hey, we're not resourced or in a position to implement this program the way that you guys, you know, signed up for. So we're going to either do whatever, but they, they, you know, they were committed to seeing you guys through it. And I think that's pretty cool because yeah. by the way, like everybody's practicing chiropractor, like right. there's nobody who's like full-time, you know, ICA instructor who's getting paid to do that. Right. It's like, this is, these are people that have practices. They're also, the instructors are also thinking about their own families and their own communities. Uh, so to, for everyone to be committed to seeing that through is pretty cool in my mind. Yeah, no doubt about it. And you know, that, especially when we, finally sat for our final exam in Atlanta, you know, you realize like, you know, we had examiners there, Dr. Cholton, Dr. Beebe, Dr. Theodosis, they were overseeing our exam process. And, you know, you just realize like, this is, they're well, they're, this is on their own time. Yeah. And they didn't have to be there for us in the way they did. And, and they made that experience for us, that kind of final weekend, that capstone experience for us really meaningful. And I have a lot of respect and appreciation for the three of them because of that. Yeah. And and when folks say things like standing on the shoulders of giants, right? It's like what we think about are not necessarily big personalities or big flashy personas, but we think about people that were committed, that were dedicated, that sacrificed, that um, went above and beyond, that worked with integrity, that gave up themselves for others to get ahead, right? Those are the things that in my mind, make somebody a giant, not just who's got the biggest following or who's the loudest mouth. It's, you know, the humble, the humble servants, for lack of a better word, the people that you can just count on, you know, and you know, workhorses, the people who are just quietly getting it done. Yes. I mean, that they've always been there, but I don't think they always get the uh, recognition because they don't do it for that. Right. Exactly. Exactly. big, Big pats on the back for all those people that just understand this this idea that like if you are a good steward of your career and you advance uh, you advance your field it's it's not just good for you it's it's good for your community it's good for the folks that come after you it's just kind of taken the more i don't want to say universal view but just kind of a, a bigger understanding of like you know this is not just about me right and that's that's something with chiropractors that i think we we kind of gravitate toward that idea but um operationally, obviously it's, it's working in our community. I think that's awesome. And so I admire all those people that you'd mentioned and and a bunch more, the ones that I know and the ones that I don't, because you see that, you know, we see that from the outside and know that, you know, it's, there's also life that goes on outside of all this stuff, right? Family and work and your own health and your own practice and all that. Yeah. And I think what you just said, that sentiment of, you know, you're doing it not for the recognition, you're doing it because it's the right thing to do. 
And in some sense, I feel that way, you know, about finishing the diplomate, you know, my patients are so excited for me and, you know, they've seen me through this whole process and seen, you know, my struggles and the time and the effort spent studying and the sacrifices that had to be made. And they're like, cool. Like, what is it you get? They're like expecting to see like a Lamborghini parked in the parking oh, right. lot. Or... I know. And it's like, it's not like I got my test results on a Wednesday night and then I wake up Thursday morning and my whole life is different. It's like, no, my, my day to day is, is still very much the same. I just think that the, the gains are in the experience of moving through that process. And yeah. you know, the letters are just a feather in my cap, so to speak as far as, you know, maybe opening some doors that wouldn't have opened before in some professional relationships. But truly, I think the real win was having the experience along the way. Mm. Well, and I think you did a good job of sharing that experience because, you know, I follow you on social media and your practice and all that stuff. And and I think it is really cool for patients to kind of get a little bit of an inside scoop on that and to kind of see that like, hey, you're out advancing yourself and your knowledge for their benefit and for the benefit of the community. And just, if nothing else, um, just for them to have kind of a window into, into your, yeah your philosophy and your sort of motivation and your dedication to care, because honestly, yeah. there's a bunch of stuff that doesn't go right in, in healthcare uh, and customer service is at the top of that list, but also providers that are going out of their way to improve themselves. Um, I think is, is, probably close second on that list. So yeah. it's, it's, it instills confidence, you know, and it's like, yeah. and Sid used to say, wanna know who we are, like, they want to know how we are investing in ourselves, because that ultimately translates into our ability to either directly take better care of them or learn something that's going to benefit them outside the four walls of our office too. Yeah. hundred percent. It's becoming the person that does the thing, right? Like, and that's what I always tell the students too, is like, quit freaking cheating, you know, because you are not becoming the person that you need to become to care for people. You want to handle difficult cases. You don't get to look up the answer, right? You want to be an upper cervical doc and like, and handle the difficult cases. You have to become the type of person that is prepared to do that. And taking the easy way out is not the way that you build that character. And, you know, when those folks are entrusted to your care, you better know that you did what you needed to do to be the type of person that could handle it yeah. because there's, there's a lot that goes into it. And so yeah, um, the worst you know, feeling is saying like, Oh man, you know, looking back, I wish I would have paid attention to that better. Right. Right. Yeah. Because you know, to, yeah, I'll get off my soapbox, but That's okay. no, I, I, I drop that in there as much as I can, because it, I think it's important, especially if you're in upper cervical to just kind of oh, elevate your standards, you know, elevate what you expect from yourself and your colleagues. Yeah. And I'll say that's for me with the, one of the, if not the biggest, and I'll say that the biggest takeaway I got from the diplomate program is now a really tight knit cohort of people. And just this morning I called because there was some nomenclature verbiage in a uh, imaging report that I hadn't necessarily come across before. So I, you know, all these people, like my people from the diplomate that I have on speed dial now to just count on to be like, Hey, can I get an extra set of eyes on this or an extra six set of eyes on this? And that has been invaluable lifelong friendships yes but also you meet your people in an immersive experience like that and I know chiropractic school to a different extent was like that you know you find people when you have this common interest this common passion that you're pursuing like you find your people in chiropractic school but I think you kind of narrow that down even more in not just the upper cervical realm but then when you choose to further your education in the DCCJP, you know, you're really finding these people who have this very niche, similar interest that you do. And it's really cool to be able to nerd out on some of this stuff and have conversations that I don't know that a whole lot of other people are having. And I would imagine even within that niche, like we all have our strengths. And so there's going to be some folks that are really dialed in with imaging, some that may have a better grapple with anatomy and thinking three-dimensionally, visualizing that stuff. I mean, you know, each- each, uh, each individual too, is going to have something to add, you know, in their own sort of strengths and, um, natural gifts, I guess. Totally. And for anybody that's considering the diplomate program that, that was clutch in making it through successfully is, you know, finding your crew and teaching each other, 
you do have your strengths and you have your weaknesses. You know, my weakness has always been kind of the neurological aspect, you know, understanding even from embryology, you know, the different, you know, germ layers and, you know, what different, what cells differentiate to the CNS, PNS, all that stuff. And, you know, Michelle Speranza was just incredibly brilliant and she's such a patient teacher, you know, and you have people that will bring those areas of weakness up, but then like you said, you also have your gifts and your natural aptitudes to understanding other things. And it's, it's a really cool dynamic to be able to find yourself in a group of people where you bring each other up. Nice. Yeah. I know that's a big part of, I know we've got another class that's going to enroll starting in the fall of 23. I understand as well. I think I've just kind of heard through the grapevine that that's, that's when the next, the next class will start. So there are going to be people who over the next, let's say, six to nine months are going to be thinking about, you know, whether or not they engage with that, if, if it's right for them or at this season of life or whatever. Um, any other thoughts that uh, you want to share as far as that decision-making either practical or sort of conceptual? Sure. And like you said, you know, people have specific questions. I am an open book. I have no secrets. I'm happy to share, you know, more details of my experience and uh, happy to chat anytime. Um, I think some of the more, or I guess I should say some of the less obvious things that you can only see in retrospect is, you know, it's a commitment. And, you know, I knew on the surface, you know, you're paying your tuition, of course, to enroll in the program. That's, you know, big monetary commitment. And then you realize, okay, well, I'm going to be traveling one weekend out of the month. But then you look at that and you're like, okay, you know, you just have to have, I think, a full, clear awareness that it's a big investment. And, you know, look at it that way. You're investing in yourself. And you're investing in bettering yourself for the future of your career. And it's a lot of time. It's a big commitment. Um, You know, you say, oh, it's just one weekend a month, but that's one weekend of driving to the airport, parking your car, getting on a plane, spending the money for a hotel room, meals, flying back on a Sunday night, getting back into practice Monday morning. It's a lot. And fun as heck on a lot of levels. Like we had a good old time those weekends. And in fact, you know, now that we're a few months through with our program, like I kind of have like almost homesickness for it. You know, I, I miss, (laughs) I miss it. I miss seeing everybody once a month. Um, but I think that's just a good thing to go into it with your eyes open. And, you know, it's, it's a, even outside those weekends, it's a commitment as far as making sure that you're actually studying and, taking in this information and, you know, you're going to be able at the end of year one to sit for that year one exam, year two, we have that uh, research presentation and year three was really a cumulative exam of all of the material you learn from day one, which is a giant chunk of information. And yeah. so you just got to be ready to put in the elbow grease to get through it. Yeah. Yeah. And that may warrant um, or, or necessitate, I guess, even some changes in your schedule, you know, maybe some of the uh, systems in your office. I mean, there, there may be ways that you have to kind of set the, set the way for that, prepare the way for that so that it becomes a little bit easier. Um, So if you're thinking along those lines, you know, obviously then that gives you some context. And if you need specifics, then reach out to, to Jane. Totally. And like anything in your life, what you get out of it is what you put into it. Sure. Yeah. Um, Is there anyone in your mind who you think shouldn't pursue that? I think that's a great question. Um, I think going into it, expecting that you're going to come out of that experience, like mastering other techniques or learning the ins and outs of practicing another technique. I don't think that's really what the program was necessarily designed for. Hmm. Um, I think you get a good overview of the other techniques, you know, for, for, for folks coming into the program from, you know, the articular world, you get a great perspective on all the orthogonal techniques, um, the commonalities, the differences and vice versa. You know, if you're coming into the program as an orthogonal practitioner, never really having learned anything about the articular techniques, you're going to get a great overview and understanding of that, but you're not going to walk out of this program with the level of ability to necessarily put those techniques into practice. I don't think that's what it was really designed for. And then, you know, if you're just doing it to add some extra letters after your name, I think that, you know, that might not be the most satisfying Hmm. way to move about that. Um, Because 
it, I don't know. It's to me, it was really just about the experience. It wasn't about the, you know, this end goal. It, you know, I tell patients, oh, you know, I've got, you know, DCCJP, what does that stand for? Diplomate and chiropractic craniocervical junction procedures. What does that mean? I'm like, it just means I'm doing the same thing I've been doing this whole time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They're like, I do I pay you the these- same? And you're yeah. like, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like, we're not going to flip you over and adjust you on, their, on, the, on the other side all of a sudden. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's good to know. I mean, that's, that's great context though, because we referenced this earlier, but I don't think too many folks are reinventing the wheel. Obviously practice changes as you change. And that's true of just going through life in general. Uh, but this particular, this particular experience seems like it has, you know, opens doors, like to use your word from earlier, opens doors to a lot more options in terms of what you, you may and can uh, integrate into your practice or do. So I always wonder what's next too. I mean, you had kind of talked about this earlier, but you, you invest and you kind of get into a rhythm of this kind of thing. Like, yeah. where do you go from here? Do you get, are you feeling like I'm set? Uh, are you feeling like I'm going to take a break and then maybe re-engage in some other things? Do you have your designs for involvement or engagement in other ways? What's, where's your head at? I, you know, that's funny. The second we opened our email with our test results, you know, we all processed it. We, I, you know, I opened it on like a, a FaceTime call with my little crew of four people and we all, we soaked it all in. We celebrated our passing and then we looked at each other. We're like, well, what are we going to do now? <laughs> <laughs> and so, the, you know, the next step in this world is of course, there's the FCCJP, the fellowship, and there's some other criteria that you need to meet to qualify for that. So of course that's maybe a future goal that I'll look towards. Huh. Um, I think I am going to take a bit of a pause and, you know, first of all, enjoy a ski season where I can not have to feel like I need to be studying instead of yeah, uh, getting out there, you know, it, it's a strange thing, you know, even in these past couple of weeks, trying to get out and remember like, oh, you know, these are my hobbies. These are the things I enjoy doing. And yeah, we cannot feel guilty about feeling like I have all this other stuff on my plate. So, you know, but it, it's going to be a little while before I enroll in anything more formal. I, there's a bunch of the uh, Carrick modules that speak to me. I think, you know, there's one with the uh, uh, traumatic brain injury, headaches, like, I'll never stop learning. I just think for now I need to take a bit of a pause from something so structured and, you know, get back to nurturing right. some of my relationships, my marriage, my friendships, and, you know, just be a person for a little while. hundred <laughs> percent. No, I believe there's seasonality to things, you know, and when you kind of commit to a season of imbalance on the other end of that is the flip, you know, which is maybe you play a little bit more and you just kind of regroup and let that, it's going to take I mean, it has got to take a while to process just all the different experiences yeah. and things you learned and kind of like get into the rhythm of practice after having that off your plate and just see what changes and how things go. For sure. Um, so yeah, definitely you've earned it. And so I hope I that you we do. don't have our graduation until June, which is kind of light years away. I think that'll be at the Upper Circle Council's annual conference. Um, mm-hmm. And so it'll be a big old party for us when we're all our classes all reunited again yeah big time do you happen to know where that is I, it's in dallas and i don't dallas. say that as like a council representative or anything but um that's what we've been told I okay I, that rings a bell now been released yet okay awesome yeah those are those are fun to observe i know um a few years ago when kevin when dr Lynn, when they graduated in denver i got yeah. to work uh, receive an award for Dr. Charmaine Herman and and got to go and attend the, uh, what's that? I took pictures of that. Yeah, that was awesome. And it was like, man, that, that party was pretty cool. It was, I didn't know that much about the diplomate program, but it was like, man, these people are really locked in. Like they're not just sharp, but they are close, you know, like that community really kind of exposed itself as like, man, we are a tight knit group here that went through this together. I thought that was really, that was really eye opening and cool to me. I guess I didn't think of it that way, but um, so you guys are going to have a good time, you know, getting yeah, together again. Will, for sure. And I, I know there's a few of us anyways, that are not planning on waiting until June to hang out. We've already got some plans in the works. <laughs> this is my people. Yeah, no, it's good. Um, awesome. Well, I think you've given us a good, a great, a great overview. I mean, everybody's going to have their own experience, right. And their own key takeaways. And even in an hour or 45 minute conversation, it's like, we can only scratch the surface, right. Of, sure. of like the total experience. So again, reach out to Dr. Brewer. If you have specific questions as the time gets closer, whenever you may be listening to this, uh, and is there, if there's decision-making happening about how to engage, 
uh, and you have unanswered questions, then please reach out. And uh, some of the folks that she mentioned, I'm sure would be willing to give you some advice and some input as well. And so Definitely. I appreciate you. Really, sorry, I, I just want to encourage people, like if you're thinking about it and there's something like where you're maybe on the fence about, just ask any one of us. Uh, we do, we, we need to be producing more diplomates in upper cervical because it lends meaning to our credential. And while yeah. it's cool to say, yeah, well, cool, there's, you know, 60 of us in the world, there needs to be more of us. And I think the more people that go through this program, gain the knowledge and are practicing at this level, the more meaningful that credential is going to be. So I think for this to kind of thrive, we, we really do need more upper cervical chiropractors to, to kind of go through that course and, and arrive on the other side. Yeah. And if you're a student and you're just kind of getting into upper cervical or you're, you're jazzed about a, a certain technique, the stepping stone towards something like this is get technique certified. You yeah. know, Jane said that was the first thing that she did. That's the first thing I've done. Like get into your technique, really lean into that, develop your skills and your understanding of upper cervical through that technique, practice it, have mentors within that, get the certifications, like go through the testing process. I mean, in my mind, that's, that's the stepping stone. And by the way, you have to be certified in a technique that's exactly right. to sit for that exam and to be a DCCJP. Yes. So if nothing else, it is the prerequisite uh, on your way to, to that status. And so as, as that journey, uh, you're talking about the journey over time, I mean, that, that'll put you on the path I mean, start there if nothing else. Yep. I agree. Awesome. Any last words of encouragement or, or closing thoughts or advice that you'd like to end with? I just, I, first of all, I think it's great uh, what you're doing with all these interviews, John. It's been fun kind of as a witness to listen to all this stuff and, and just to hear all these different perspectives and, you know, for your listeners, you know, if you're interested in the diplomate program again, like I just really encourage you to learn about it, ask any of us about it. Um, and I'm just speaking from my experience, having been a student in that world, um, cool things are happening and we need more people to go through it to improve it even more and tailor it even more um, to just make it really the pinnacle of, of what upper cervical has to offer and to really create this community of upper cervical practitioners who can rely on each other to lift each other up to become really the best of the best. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend or colleague. Be sure to subscribe for future episodes and check the show notes for links to our hosts, guests, and other relevant information. And head on over to www.blairchiropractic.com to find out more about Blair Upper Cervical Chiropractic or to find a doctor close to you. If you're a chiropractor or healthcare provider, you'll want to look at www.blairtechnique.com for information on upcoming events, professional development resources, and some very useful online training modules. You can also find a link to make a charitable donation, which is greatly needed to advance research. Until next time, be well.